0: Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Today we're wrapping up the series that we've been in the past several weeks entitled Walking in the Word. And in this series we've been talking about the importance of placing God's Word in our heart. Uh, by making commitments to reading and studying and and just placing that word internally. So today I want to do a little wrap up and I want to talk about how do I maintain a heart for God's word? How do I continue in the skills and in the habits that hopefully I have been developing in my life? And today's uh, the message is is entitled God's word apply often. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're really my followers. Then you're my disciples. Now notice he did not say, if you'll do this for, you know, five or six weeks and then stop, you're you're still my disciple. No, he used the word continue, right? So this week, I want to close out this series by having us look at how to maintain uh, a heart for God's Word, how to integrate it into uh, every part of our life. The word integrate, you know what integration is, right? It's the opposite of segregation. Segregation means to separate into little groups. And when you segment your life, you have a segregated life. In other words, your, your life is like uh, this pie chart. I have got a pie chart picture up there, right there a segregated life. You know, you've got, uh, this is my personal life, Uh, I've got my church life, my business life, uh, uh, social life, all of these different areas that creates a segregated life. But oftentimes, a very segregated life lacks integrity. And the word integrity comes from the same root as the word integrated. To have integrity means You live your life integrated as a whole. In other words, you don't act this way with this group and you act another way with another group. You know, you don't act different at home than you act at church. You act the same in all areas of your life. It's an integrated life. God wants us to live that kind of life. He wants us to become men and women that he has created us to be. So how does it happen? It doesn't happen unless you first have the desire for it. If you don't desire to be a person of the Word, it'll never happen. Guaranteed. It always starts with desire. The first verse I want us to look at uh, this morning is Psalms 119 verse 20. And it says, what I want most of all and at all times is to honor your laws. That's out of the contemporary English version. I like the way it made it very clear. I thought, what I want most of all and at all times is to honor your laws. And this is David writing here, of course. Uh, He's saying he wants to be a man of the word all the time. Whether I'm at home, work, business travel, church, on the golf course. How many of you men that golf Boy, if you, can, if you can be a man of the Word through 18 holes of golf, you got something going on. Because if there's any time the tempter comes and, sa- and just taps you on the shoulder and says, you know, you ought to say a bad word right now. It's out on a golf course. But we don't. Hopefully. We don't. We, we, we want to be men of the Word no matter what the tempter comes to us and tries to get us to do, right? So... What we're talking about today is is just how do we do that? And we're going to look at six simple steps to keep us in the Word. And uh, we'll use a scripture for each of these as a reference for each step. Step one of maintaining uh, our desire to be people of the Word is to build my life on the Bible. In other words, we have to make the Bible the absolute foundation of our lives. The foundation always determines how big the structure on top of it is going to be, right? I mean, if I wore size six shoes, I would be constantly falling over, wouldn't I? Probably face forward. Uh, we won't get into that. You've got to have a good foundation. It, it determines how big the structure on top is going to be. This is what Jesus is referring to in Matthew 7, where He is winding up Uh, The most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, and he said he said these words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. You've heard that. We can. He's speaking metaphorically here. We can build our life on sand, or we can build it on rock. And if you build your life on Truth, the rock, it's very solid because the truth never shifts or changes, does it? If something was true 2,000 years ago, it's still true today. It'll still be true 2,000 years from now. But when 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 you build your life on truth and the trials and the and storms of life, the temptations that are bound to come at you, none of those things are going to bring you down because of your strong foundation of truth. But on the other hand, if you decide to build your life on popular opinion, let's say, and boy, that's a very, very common thing that people tend to do today. They they build their life on popular opinion. That is like building on shifting sand because popular opinion is constantly what? Constantly changing. Whatever gets built on a foundation like that is absolutely going to come crumbling down at some point. We all need to determine in our hearts, we need to say, God, I'm going to build my life on on your word. I don't always understand it. Sometimes I may not even like what it's telling me at that time, but I know it's truth. And I know that it's going to stand the test of time. And I know it's never going to take me down a wrong path. It's very tragic, I think, that a large majority of people today seem to build their lives on very unstable foundations. And uh, before we go to step two, I just wanted to give you four very common foundations not, say that word, not to build your life on. These are four common foundations not to build your life on. The first one, as I said, popular culture. There are so many people that live their life by just doing what everyone else seems to be doing. You now, if it's popular, I'll do it. Well, the big problem with that is this: What is popular today is going to be unpopular tomorrow. What's in style today going to be out of style tomorrow. That's why I have a closet full of pastel polyester leisure suits. Not really, but I did at one time. Who had one? You gotta be an old geezer like me to even remember those, right? And those big stupid, you know, shoes with the big old heels. And I don't know what we were thinking. We were basing our life on popular culture, and now we've all paid the price. There's pictures, you know. <laughs> they look at it, they say, What were you thinking, man? I don't know, I wasn't. I was just following like sheep, you know. Yes, I think this powder blue or light lime green polyester suit would really look good on me. I don't know what we were thinking. Whatever's cool today is going to be lame tomorrow. And popular culture is a foundation that changes faster than we're going to be able to keep up with. That's why God said in Exodus 23, 2, he said, don't follow the crowd in doing wrong boy, that's a pretty powerful scripture right there. Why did he say it? Because he knew the crowd is almost always wrong. The second thing, not to build your life on tradition. Some people build their life on traditions. In other words, they they have an attitude that says, well, this is how we've always done it. This is how we're always going to do it. And not to say there aren't some good traditions. There are. But Don't build your life on that simply for the sake of tradition, because no tradition's going to last forever either. Only the truth is going to last forever. Traditions will eventually run their course. Jesus said in Mark 7, verse 8, You have let go of the commands of God and are holding to human traditions. You know who he's talking to right there? The church leaders. He says, you've let go of the commands of God, you're holding on to human tradition, and he's not speaking to just the crowd, he's speaking to the religious leaders, the church leaders. It's, it's ironic that 2,000 years later, there's still a lot of churches that do things not because, out of truth, but out of tradition. And Jesus tells us not to put tradition before truth, because it's always going to mess us up. The third thing not to build your life on, and boy, this is a popular one too, simple reason. You know, we all, we certainly need the ability to reason in our life, right? If you can't reason things out, life is going to be tough for you. We need to be reasonable people. In fact, God is the one who has given us the ability to reason. But a lot of times, what we think is reasonable is not right. So often you'll hear someone say, you'll hear some dialogue begin, well, you know, I've always thought this, or well, I've always thought that, and the truth is, it doesn't really matter what any of us have always thought, what matters is what is right in a given situation. You know, I don't know if you have discovered this in your life, but when we rely on our own intellect to always do what's right, What seems reasonable to us always ends up being a huge mistake. Who knows what I'm talking about? Human reasoning is a good thing, but it has never been infallible, right? Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way which seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Boy, how many of us have been in situations where we thought we were making a reasonable decision and boy, it came back to bite us hard. Because we're making decisions based on our own human ability to reason rather than on truth. I really think I need to marry this person. 50% of the time, it turns out it wasn't the right person. According to statistics, right? It's a pretty lousy track record. Base, you know, if we're basing things on human reasoning. I need to get into this business. I need to make this investment. I need to purchase this thing. Let me see your hand if you have ever purchased something you thought was reasonable and you ended up thinking, what in the world was I thinking? Well, we should start a club. That was pretty popular. (laughs) The I don't know what I was thinking when I purchased this thing club. Oh, we'd have a big first meeting, I think. (laughs) What we thought was reasonable turned into a huge disaster. And it's because we can't simply trust our own ability to reason. We are fallible. We make mistakes. God's truth is the only thing we can fully trust, right? And the fourth thing you should not build your life on, and this is popular too, emotions. Man, there are so many people that live their life day to day based on emotions. They they build their lives based on how they feel. If it feels good, I'll do it. If it feels wrong, I won't. In other words, I live my life based on how it makes me feel. I feel like doing this, it's enjoyable, it must be right. How many among you have figured out that just because something feels good and is enjoyable does not make it right? Not quite as many members as that what was I thinking (laughs) when I bought this thing, but still quite a few, still quite a few I think we can talk about. I mean, uh, you know, we have hopefully figured out that just because something feels good and is enjoyable doesn't make it right. There's plenty of people suffering from uh, some incurable STD. You you could say, you still feel good about your choices? Or, Or business decisions, or just, you know, so many things. The list is endless almost. And there's a real problem with that attitude that says, you know, if it feels right, man, it must be right. And the problem is this, feelings lie to us. If you are trusting your feelings, man, you are putting your trust in the wrong, wrong place. Feelings lie to us. You say, how do feelings lie to us? I'm glad you asked that question because I've got a whole thing in my notes here to talk about. How do feelings lie to us? Let me ask this question. See how many club members we have. How many of you have ever lied to someone in your life? Now, some of you do not have your hands raised and I'm just going to say, we feel a little suspicious about you. (laughs) have to work that into a different sermon. We've all lied to multiple people probably. But having said that, I want to say this. Chances are much greater that you have lied to yourself more than you've lied to anyone else on planet earth. You've probably lied to yourself more because it's usually because of feelings. You tell yourself, we can tell ourselves, oh, no, things are great when things are not great. Or sometimes we can tell ourselves things are terrible when really things are not so terrible. We, kind of tend, we can swing from one end of the pendulum to the other. Feelings are very unreliable, aren't they? If marriage vows were based solely on feelings, the divorce rate would not be 50%. It would be what? 100%. I love an optimist. (laughs) I mean, can we go like 99s? Maybe there's somebody that's figured it out. I don't know. But it'd be a lot higher than 50%, wouldn't it? If marriage, your own marriage, would your own marriage still be intact if it was all based on how you felt at a particular time? Probably not. How many of us may not even be alive if, our, <laughs> if, if things were based on how our spouse feels? We, we might have been dead years ago. So thank the Lord that your spouse isn't basing everything off of their feelings. Amen. We're going now, right? So, if you live your life by feelings, you're going to spend your entire life being manipulated by your own mood. If you only do what you feel like doing, you're not going to get a lot accomplished in life. I'll tell you that. And sometimes we're all guilty of that. But I'm telling you, if you only do what you feel like doing, you're probably not going to get a whole lot done. There is a great word for someone who builds their life on their emotions. That word is immature. You know, little kids, okay, they're little kids. We extend grace. Little kids want this. They don't get that. They get something else, and they pitch a fit. Why is that? It's because they're immature. But when you get, you know... When you're 40 years old or more, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and you're walking around, and every time you don't get your way, you pitch a fit. There's a big, there's a good word for that, right? And we've learned it. What is it? Immature. Maturity and wisdom come when you can live your life and you can act according to your values and your convictions rather than on how you happen to feel that day. That is maturity. There's a passage in Judges 21 that, man, it so perfectly describes the age in which we live in. It says, in those days, Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Man, does that nail this generation down? Well, what's right for me, you know, it may not be right for you. What's wrong for you, what's well, not wrong for me because I look at it differently. Well, you know, they, they live with no sense of absolute truth. And it leads to the hugest mess you can imagine. Building our life on God's Word is not always going to be convenient. But it will always be right. So you got to decide, do I want convenience or do I want what's right? Because rarely do they go hand in hand. Have you figured that one out? So... Those were just, I threw that in for free. Four foundations not to build your life on. Now let's go to step two for being. After building on it, begin to feed on it. That means uh, you know, we, we, we begin to absorb it. Feeding ourselves is what gives us strength and sustains us, right? It's true in the physical world and in the spiritual realm. So in the physical world, if feeding is ourselves is what gives us strength, that's the reason I have the strength of ten men. That was a joke. I guess it wasn't that funny. So let's just act like I didn't even say it. The Bible often refers to itself as spiritual food, right? It uses words like the bread, the water, the milk, the meat of spiritual life. But you have to learn to feed yourself. Nobody's going to keep feeding you forever. The Bible tells us that we're all in this building process. It says we're all in a spiritual battle as well. You're not going to have much success building your life or winning spiritual battles if you've been starving yourself to death, right? We have to feed on God's Word for strength. And spiritual food is is really different than physical food. When we eat physical food, And and we just keep eating and keep eating. We reach a point fairly quickly where we just don't want anymore, right? When you feed on God's Word, you find the exact opposite. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. That's the difference between the physical and the spiritual food. So let's do a little review on how we feed ourselves on God's Word. We talked about we receive it with our ears, right? Faith comes through hearing the Word of God. How do we hear it? Well, we, you know, many ways. We come to church, uh, come to life groups on Wednesday night. You might, might be someone you like to hear on radio or TV that preaches the truth. Secondly, we read it with our eyes. We absorb it with our eyes. That's why God gave us His written Word. We have to absorb it with our eyes, right? It wasn't so we just have something to put on the coffee table. Having a Bible in your house is not going to bless you one bit. It has to be in your heart in order to bless you. You have to actually pick it up and, and read it for it to be any kind of blessing in your life. And thirdly, we research it. We talked about that. The difference between just reading and studying often involves the differences, a piece of paper and a pencil or pen. You know, it's really studying the Bible, not just glancing through it. Write down what you've been reading so that helps you remember. Ask yourself questions. Ask other people questions. Just let it roll around. And then fourthly, we reflect on it. We do this up here in our mind. We don't just read it and forget it, hopefully, hopefully. What does the Bible say about that? God's Word says that's like somebody who looks in the mirror and then forgets what they look like. Sometimes that would be our choice to do that, but it'd still mean there's something wrong going on up there, right? So I had an example I wanted to do this morning, and I forgot to bring it. I wanted to use an illustration of a teacup and a teabag. So can we do this? Can we pretend you can be immature and still pretend. It's okay. So it's like, pretend I've got a teacup in this hand, okay? And a teabag in this hand. What's in this hand? This hand? Okay, I don't want to get that messed up because you don't dip a teacup into a teabag. You got to do it the other way. Okay? So this, this teacup that I have in my hand here, does everybody see it? What color is it? You are exactly right. This white teacup that I have, this represents your life and your soul, okay? This tea bag that I have in my right hand represents the Word of God. Are we all together so far? And this illustrate, it illustrates the fact that just reading the Word, kind of glancing through it, is different than really absorbing the Word into our life. If we come into church once a week and, you know, we hear a sermon, uh, that's kind of like, Dipping the tea bag into the cup a couple of times. You look at it, dad, yeah, the water is now slightly different colored, but not a lot. But then we start to really study the word. And I mean, we're dwelling on it and we're thinking about it. We're writing stuff down. We're asking questions. We're searching out answers. And it's like we're continually. Dunking that tea bag into the cup over and over and over. And now you look at the water, and now this water has actually absorbed the, the, the tea and the flavor and the character of the tea, right? The water has just been absorbed with the tea. And that's how our life should absorb the word, so to speak. So we build our life on it. We, we feed on the word. And then we come to step three, which is we live by the word. The Word of God is not only food for our soul, it literally has to become our standard of living. It has to be the standard for making decisions on how we're going to act and what we're going to do. Psalms 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart so I might not sin against you. In the fourth chapter of Matthew, we read about Jesus. He's led out into the wilderness and he's being tempted by Satan. Satan attacks Jesus three different times here, and three times Jesus uses just one weapon in defense, and that is God's Word. Every time that Satan would tempt Jesus, Jesus would defend himself by saying, it is written. It is written. Three times. If we want to be like Christ, we have to learn to defend ourselves the way he did. The big problem is that usually when we are most apt to be tempted, rarely do we have a Bible in our hands. And we're not able to just sit down and find the scripture uh, that fits the situation. Satan is probably not going to lead you into any deep temptation when he knows you're just sitting there reading God's word. That's usually not when he will attack. It's when you're much more vulnerable than that. That's why we need it in our hearts. If we'll just begin to place it there, Jesus will bring it to our memory when we need it. How many of you have ever experienced that? You know, you, it's something you've read in God's word. You're not thinking about it. You're not dwelling on it. But all of a sudden you find yourself in a particular situation and boom, it, he puts it back there. But the thing is this, he can't bring something back to you that you didn't put there first. That's the problem. So that's why God wants wants us to plant His Word in our heart, to read it, to study it, memorize it, and make it become the standard by which we live our lives. So let me bring you back to my teacup here. What's in this hand? Okay, just want to make sure we're all together. The deal is this. In just the short while that we've been talking here, in my teacup here, something other than just the water changing color actually happened in this process, right? It actually, this water took on a whole new identity. And if you had taken a drink from your teacup, you know, 10 minutes ago, and someone said, what are you drinking? You'd have looked at it and said, well, I'm drinking some lightly discolored water, right? But boy, after you've been letting that thing absorb and absorb it takes on a whole new identity. You know, and, and so when, uh, when now as we take a drink and someone says, hey, what are you, what are you drinking there? You're not going to say, I am drinking some water that has been, this tea bag has been dunked into it many, many times. You're not even going to say that, right? Because now what you have in your cup, as far as you're concerned, is not even water anymore. And so someone says, what are you drinking? And you say, I'm drinking tea. What, was it always tea? No, it wasn't always tea. I had to let it do some absorbing first and it just became the tea. So that's, a, that's how it works in our life, right? We take on, he creates, God's word says he makes us a new creation. That's like taking what was just water and now it's something completely different. We don't call it tea flavored water. We just call it tea, right? So when we let the Word of God dwell in us, we absorb that nature of Christ, we become something new and different. We take on the whole new identity. You know, we don't know it says, who are you? I'm the former sinner known as Doug. You ever said that in your life? No, we take on a new identity, right? He takes that old junk away from us. He makes us something new. We take on a whole new identity because we start to become the man or woman that God really created you to be. So to become the person that God wants you to be, you have to make the Bible your foundation. You've got to make the Bible your food. And then you have to make the Bible the standard by which you're going to live your life. It brings us to step four of being a man or woman of the Word. Grow with the Word. We've talked about how the Bible is like a seed in our life. When it gets planted in our heart, it finds good soil. It begins to grow and produce good fruit, right? But this is true. No root, no fruit. Say it with me. No root, no fruit. You know, there's a a story that Jesus told in in Luke, uh, commonly called the parable of the soils. It's where a farmer goes out, he plants some seeds in four different types of soil, and some grow and some don't, right? You remember this story? I used to think, kind of just in my own manner of thinking, that the four soils represented four different people, four different types of people. But I have since determined, in my life anyway, this this is my translation, take it or leave it, I have determined that the four soils just represent four different attitudes that on any given day, any of us can demonstrate all four of them in the course of one day, if we're not careful. You know, the first soil was a hardened soil. And the, and the soil is kind of, that soil is the attitude of a closed mind. Sometimes we just decide we don't want to talk to God or we don't want him to talk to us. Our minds have been, we're, you know, our minds made up. We don't want to hear from him because he's probably going to want me to change my mind. So I'd rather just not hear anything because I'm upset about something or whatever the case, and I have a right to be upset. So I'm not going to talk to God right now because he's going to probably try to take my upsetness away from me, and I really deserve it because this person really jacked me up. So I'll talk to you in a little bit, God. Right now, I'm kind of busy doing my, my thing here that I'm entitled to. Is this making any sense to anybody? You know, and so, you know, or he might, you know, he might want us to change the way we think about something. I, you know, I love doing this. I I don't feel uh, convicted. And so the last thing I want to do is talk to God about it or have him because then I might start feeling convicted about it. And then I know it's wrong. Right now, I'm kind of calling my own shots and it's okay. So he might want us to, uh, change the way we think about something. But a lot of times we're not in the mood to change our mind or, or our opinion about something. And so we just kind of close ourselves off. But if God is going to change us, we always have to be open to it. And the, the second soil was the shallow soil. That's the kind of like superficial thinking or superficial minds. Sometimes we act superficially towards the Bible. We might go to church and say, well, you know, that was a nice little sermon. But before we get to the, our car in the parking lot, we, have, we don't even remember what it was about. Let alone how we could possibly apply it to our lives. But I went to church and I sat there and I was quiet, so God will reward me for that. Not usually, right? The, second, the third soil, a soil with weeds. That soil represents a very preoccupied mind, I guess we could call it. That's where we read God's Word and we try to plant it into our lives, but we've got so much other junk in there and we keep putting so much other junk in there that His Word is constantly getting choked out by all the weeds. Worry, business, money, material things, greed, lust, billion-dollar lotteries. I am so glad somebody finally won that stupid lottery. The last couple times I had gone into the gas station over the past week and a half to, uh, sometimes, you know, it doesn't give you a receipt. And so you get that message from the devil that says, receipt is inside. I need my receipt, please. What pump? I forget. Let me go. But you go in there for whatever reason, and I tell you, the last couple times I'd be three, four people deep. Waiting for people to buy all their lottery tickets. It was driving me crazy. I'm so glad somebody won. I've never bought a lottery ticket. I've just stood there and been annoyed by people who are. Well, I'll take four of those scratch and sniff and a couple of those with the, well, this thing or that thing. And No, it's us see. I don't know. It's like, ah, just make up your mind. You're not going to win anyway. Come on. You ought to just give me that $10. I'll give you a pat on the back. That's more than you're going to (laughs) get. Just give me the $10. I'll say something nice to you. That's more than you're going to get. Man. So most people, you know, try to to simplify our life. Get rid of the junk and focus on the treasure. That's that's a good word right there. Get rid of the junk. Focus on the treasure. Begin to eliminate the distractions in your life that are just complicating things. Don't get, I don't know who said this, I've always liked this quote, don't get so many irons in the fire that you put out the fire. It's possible, right? And then the fourth soil, that was good soil. That was like having a willing, open mind. That's the good soil where Christ, where, where God can plant His word in your heart and, and there's room, actually room for it, to grow and flourish and begin to bear fruit, because you've weeded out all of that other junk. It's, it's become an open, fertile area. A willing mind and a heart is where we say, "God, I'm willing to learn. Make me, make me teachable and humble." I realize I don't know it all. We have to get to that point. And all of that leads us to the fifth step in being a person of the Word, which is we have to act on the Word. James 1.22, don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says, right? I tell you, when I was a, up through my teenage years, I had a very bad habit of just going to church, sitting there, I'd hear the sermon and whoosh, it'd go one ear and out the other. Does anybody? Can anybody relate to that? Am I the only lousy person that ever did that? In one ear, out the other. My dad would often tell me the reason it goes in one ear and out the other is there's nothing really much in between there to kind of stop it or slow it down. He would share that with me sometimes. But the Bible is, is very clear when it says that if we're listening to God's word but we're not doing it, we are deceiving ourselves. Lying to ourselves again. We convince ourselves that just because we've heard it or read it, We've got it, but we often don't. We have to absorb it. You know, we've spent the last several weeks talking about how to be a person of the Word, and it is all up to you. We all have to make that choice, right? And the last step involving uh, being a person that, uh, a person of the Word, a person that has an integrated life of integrity, is we have to learn to completely trust God's Word. It's always right. Even if we don't understand it or don't agree with it completely or it's just something, "Ah, I wish it didn't say that, makes no difference because it's always right. And we have to get to that point where we can completely put our trust into it. We went through a whole sermon early on in this series of why we can trust the Bible. And we have to believe that God is never going to guide us into a wrong direction, but other people will. Even well-meaning people will sometimes take us down a wrong direction. I've had a lot of good friends down the years who gave me some really lousy advice. Not because they were trying to hurt me, but their advice wasn't based on truth. Well-meaning people can steer you in a wrong direction, but here's what you can take to the bank: God never will. His word never will. You can always trust Him. If God tells you to go one day, go one way. Just do it, even if it looks harder. Even if it looks harder, because in the long run, it's going to be the best thing for you. Psalm 119105. Thy word is what. A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Without His Word, we are walking in the dark. That's what that means. Have you ever felt like you're just you're in the dark? You know, I don't know what to do about this relationship. I don't know what I should do about this job. I don't know what my next step should be. So, what's the best thing to do when you're in the dark? Turn on a light, right? That's why we need to memorize. And absorb His Word because it becomes a light in our life. It guides us. It directs us. We're never in the dark as long as we have His Word in our heart. So the next time you're all confused and you don't, know, you don't know for sure which way to turn, just sit down and pray to God. Say, Lord, you promised me that you're going to be a lamp unto my feet. You're going to light up my way. Show me which way to go. Be that light right now that I can follow. And I promise to follow. I promise to do what you tell me. And then you read his word, you meditate on it, you do these six steps that we've just talked about, and God is going to light up your path. He promises to do it, but we have to do our part first. So my challenge to you this morning, read his word every day, meditate on it, ask questions, find answers, and make a commitment to living a life that is transformed by the Word of God. Amen? You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com Connect with us on Facebook or call us at 210-657-3578